to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have Bucky. Hello. So, how's it feel like to be a free man again? Um, pardon? Well, you graduated, didn't you? Yeah. I was yeah, never just... in prison. Well, they always call a university as a, as a second form of prison. And now that you've graduated, you're free. No, 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 no. I'm not free now. I charge. <laughs> Uh, how much put, is it by the hour or by the by the day? Um, depends upon the assignment you're proposing. <laughs> and will I get caught? Um, I don't do those sorts of assignments. <laughs> Look, DJ, if you want to hire Buck as a hitman, you can't just go and blurt it out on public podcasts like that. <laughs> you got to go through the proper channels. There's a system for this. <laughs> you wouldn't even have enough Bitcoin to hire an assassin anyway. Oh, I don't even have access to the dark web to even hire a hitman. No, I don't take Bitcoins. <laughs> They're not tangible enough, are they, Buck? Cold hard cash. <laughs> also with me today, I have the professor. Hello. Uh, how are you, professor? Well, I just saw a small spider run across the wall in front of me, so... Let's hope the microphone doesn't pick me up, pick up me screaming like a little girl when it jumps on my leg. <laughs> but if it does, we will take notice of the time signature and prepare a um, recording for prosperity. <laughs> Look, I've got no problem with spiders. As long as they don't try to cuddle me. Uh, I'm taken. They're great for I a I know problem. I'm the most attractive man on earth, but I'm taken. <laughs> <laughs> the professor, the, but, but you, you sound like you're cringing. You okay, man? Yeah, um, I was actually about to have a mouthful of tea when he said that, so I was trying not to choke. <laughs> you see, uh, that's how you kill someone. <laughs> no, no, no. That's how you commit suicide by making me spill my cup of tea. Uh, anyways, let's um, get the show on the road. Um, Bucky, you have a story about self-holding robots using Kirigami. I certainly do. Um, just so that, because I'm not actually writing assignments as much anymore, I've got to make sure I give an explanation of the origins of the word. So Kirigami is the Japanese form of paper cutting. It's next level up from origami which is paper folding. And the breakdown of the word is kiru, which is to cut and gami paper. So it's not only cutting the paper, it's folding and cutting it to form into three-dimensional shapes, etc. So... Wow, they look creative. Very creative. Thank you. I didn't do any of them, but thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, it's, there's been an uptake in, um, engineering circles, etc., and also in mathematical formulations where developing three-dimensional aspects and representations of, um, various wave patterns and so forth is actually being 
represented using Kirigami and so forth. But there's researchers who are utilising Kirigami with in various polymers to create self-folding and changeable robots for different conditions. Like the one in the object we have here is a essentially a giant H, in, but it folds itself at different angles and so forth to become different u- utilizational processes where one's a giant upside-down claw, another one turns into a crab, another one turns into a giant um, water spider, just to freak out the professor. <laughs> so... This is a very simple robot, uh, but the processes involved and the concepts that it's proof of is taking the the whole idea and concept to another level. So, yeah. So, in other words, we've got a new version of Transformers. Well, not not so much Transformers per se, but. Um, Probably moving along into the realms of the um, is it the T two thousand the liquid polymer robot from Terminator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With some of those sorts of um, changes and adaptability, um, yeah. Okay, and before you bug me about the spiders, I did just catch it and put it outside, so <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> well, this reminds the... me of the. Um, do you remember the origami gripper we talked about? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Reminds me a lot of that, but it's really cool that I've got it actually doing the movement itself. Yeah, and it's because it, they use to do that. They're actually used a lot in this particular instance. They're using um, heat responsive polymers, which is on its own is pretty darn impressive. So that means that you hit it with a heat gun and it would fold up. Um. Well, it will create a reaction. But um, they've got little wires that are running through that are putting in that are affecting the temperature to create various responses. I oh thought I didn't notice that. If you, have, I've also got a link there for um, a scientific journal paper which looks at some of the bits and pieces. And if you just go, even if you just go to the very first um, video, if you scroll down a bit and you just watch that video, that's almost mesmerizing watching what looks like a sheet of paper change the way it does that's going to be awesome i can think of the i can think of so many avenues like imagine thousands and thousands of tiny paper robots well like that first one i've actually seen where um material processes like that have been used on the sides of buildings for generating um Sunshades that can change according to the time of day, and there's even some people are actually mounting solar panels on them as well. So, so they're attracting, they're collecting the solar energy, but you have um, protection to block the heat to keep it nice and cool inside, but still allowing enough sunlight through to reduce the need for electricity inside as well. What I'm hearing is we can make tiny robot spiders. I'm in. <laughs> Well, it's not just tiny robot spiders. Um, you were wanting to build your secret laboratory under your house. Yeah. If you scroll down a bit further, there's a um, self-actuating opening trapdoor, which goes from a hexagon 
into a giant six-pointed star with a hexagon opening in the middle. Cool. Now that you mention it, the, um, the tiny, tiny robotic spiders, it also reminds me of, um, I don't know whether you guys were familiar with Big Hero 6, the little microbots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you imagine those the, those beauties? Yeah. Like, the thing that gets me is the overall adaptability of this sort of technology and where it can go is pretty limitless. And, like, I know we're only joking about me being a hitman before, but you could use this to create killer robots for spies because who looks at a piece of paper to see if that's actually a robot that's going to strangle you? <laughs> Death by paper. That Yeah, I could see that. I feel like there's an easy way to do that, though. Just sprinkle some anthrax into an envelope and send the letter. Yeah, but see, people's, people scan for that. They don't scan to see if it's a heat-reactive polymer lining oh. the edge of the tray that you send in as part of the room service to well, the President of the United States that then turns around and goes up and knocks his toupee off his head and strangles him slowly. Well, if I recall, there was a, sto- there was a story of a woman that... That um, gilded poison on the tip of the tip of the papers in a book, and um, people would lick that lick their th- uh, finger, and while turning the pages, and the poison would go to their hand on the page, and then the guy, the person, the victim would um, lick it. So now, basically... I don't know about a deliberate poisoning, but there is a historical book that is a sample of wallpapers, basically yeah. containing wallpapers made with, I think, cyanide. Because it gives mm-hmm. you a beautiful green color, but it also kills you. <laughs> um, some of the and, historical yeah. books where the they were actually all written and all the um, artwork was all done by hand back in the Middle Ages. Some of those you have to wear gloves when you touch them because the chemicals used for the inks and the paints and the dyes, and also the treatment of the paper itself. The chemicals actually form a contact poison for some of it. So, yeah. Um, we're getting the... a little bit off topic there. We're not talking about robots anymore. We're, we're supposed to be talking about robots. <laughs> well, I can also think of this in, in, in a positive aspect of, um, in terms of it can build, it can create uh, many things from nothing, basically. Yeah. It can also be used for um, putting robots into reduced access areas. Like we've had. Um, drones that are accessing into reduced like for um, search and rescue operations where they're self-flying drones um, we can have them being used for delivering these sorts of robots that are then able to help start clearing away some of the small bits of rubble and finding and locating and getting access into electrical panels and that sort of stuff Yeah, even for creating funnels for getting food and water through to people. So, yeah, like there's lots of various applications that can be used for this, not just world domination. <laughs> That's just fun. Yeah. So has any other um, so universities have adopted this style as well, or is it just, uh, it's just the um, Japanese at this moment? No, no, no. There's uh, quite a number of um, universities and engineering groups that are looking into Kirigami and there's probably other people that are looking into the nature of the robotics and so forth. So, yeah. 
I'm not I'm not going to start naming all the different groups, but yeah, we have um, a couple of links there on some of the on the bottom of the paper that go to it. And just so you're aware, um, this is actually provided by North Carolina State University. Ah, uh, my my mistake. So yeah. This could uh, not to also not to mention this could also revolutionize three revolutionize three D printing as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly good. good. Yeah, I mean, goodbye, um, goodbye using a big, big block, um, big printer. You can use this just to print things up. Well, you need the printer to print stuff. Ah, my mistake. I can't see these being printers. Yeah. Anyways, um, so moving along, um, next is my story about uh, anime movies being snubbed at the Golden Globes this year. That's because they don't have taste. Oh, I know, right? Hollywood. What what can I say? I mean... Is the Golden Globes Hollywood? Yeah. Shows how much attention I pay to them. <laughs> Whoever cares about Hollywood nowadays, hey? Did anyone ever really? <laughs> well, the only time Hollywood they ever care... <laughs> well, the only time they only care about is the Academy Award, but whoever watches that nowadays. Well, you do. Yeah, I do, just for the movies, but... Yeah. Um so yeah, this year's um this year's Golden Globe nominations have came out and uh, for the best animated features we've got Toy Story 4, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World and Frozen 2, which are all sequels and while well, there is The Lion King, which is basically a remake and one other um animated movie which is called The Missing Link, which is basically stop animation stop animation. They missed a, a bit by not put, calling the uh, Frozen 2 movie. Uh, Frozen 2, Let It Go Again, or <laughs> Let That Go as well. Something along those lines. Why would they not do that? I am a genius at marketing. <laughs> well, actually, I know you, you've missed the whole perfect opportunity there. You let it go on the first one. The second, the, the second installment could be whoever snuffed it, fluffed it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, I thought we were trying to be a bit more hyper. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm an, I'm an uncle. I'm getting ready for my um, nephews and nieces coming for a visit. Apparently, though, the funniest part about it is Frozen Two is being sued sued by South Korea for, for um for in breach of monopoly laws in the domestic film market. Um, so what? They've got a they've got a, a princess singing in the ice castle. <laughs> It's basically they're saying the complaint saying this is the case of one of our business occupying more than fifty percent of the market and constitutes a violation of antitrust law. Hey, someone's actually sending up to Disney. Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> when that would happen. Um, on, on our next topic, um, <laughs> South Korea is being invaded apparently for acts of terrorism. <laughs> Yeah, so here's the stupid part about this whole um, Golden Globes is how it's all CGI animated now. Like CGI has been dominating this, um, dominating this the animation market. While there's fantastic 2D animation, like the Japanese, um, like Japanese films, for example. Yeah, but just because they're called the Golden Globes doesn't mean they have to be about the globe. It's like how America has a baseball World Series when they're the only people that play. Or like the America's Cup. Well, they do let other people take part in that. Although these yeah. days, it's usually the Kiwis that let the people join in. But um, no, honestly, I think you guys are both missing the point. It's 
as the DJ said, it's Hollywood. So the Golden Globes in Hollywood are usually um, a silicon-based substance. <laughs> no kidding. And you wonder why you struggle with writing assignments with grammar that's that poor. Uh, so here's an interesting thing, though. So um, through the 10 of them that's been played in the wide release, 32 have been, 32 have been qualified for Best Animated Feature Oscar this year. Most of international productions, and many of them have done in traditional or hybrid styles. And the other interesting thing is The Lion King, which the CGI version, has, has been submitted for an animated film to the Oscars. Well, of course, because the CGI was so good, they thought that they were real animals. <laughs> That's the uh, the urban legend for why 2001 A Space Odyssey didn't get the um, best costumes Oscar for the apes. Yeah, which is really, I mean, yeah. But um, back to the topic, though, it's sad that, like, Japan has, like, Japan is the forefront of animation, mm. and they have and there've been like four anime films that have been submitted to the Oscars and three of them have been nom- three of those have been nominated for any awards in best feature best indie features those were Promar Weathering with You and Oko's Inn which is yeah which is an interesting movie uh-huh. so last year is the last year the most successfully campaigned movie to get um to be nominated for an Oscars and only anime film was nom- that was nominated at the Oscars was Mirai yeah, and that it's so bad. It's such it's so sad how Japanese films are not are not being looked at this year, even though there are so many good anime films that came out this year, like the ones. That it's not adjusted. just not just the Japanese anim- animation. There's world class animation happening. It's been ignored just because it's I don't know America's <laughs> forgotten how to pick up a pencil and draw. Yeah. Or or even better, not. In, not getting that, not getting sponsored by sweet, sweet Disney. Well, no, no. See, Disney's on the thin margin, so they can't sponsor anyone. <laughs> but honestly, I the artistic integrity of America is null and void now. Like they're producing, like they've got so many. I can't like they call them musicians, but they're not like they're rap artists, and they're not even artists, rappers. Here goes the mumble rap. It's <laughs> not, not just even the mumble rapping. Um, these days, like, there's, like, they don't de- develop any music. They sample a little bit here and there, and then they just, and I, I, I guess it's supposed to be talking or rapping, whatever it is. Most of them are mumbling and morons. But, yeah, it's just, there's, there's no real talents coming through, like, musically anymore. Um, artist, so artistically, there's nothing there. Like they're not, they're not actually writing music most of the time. Like you go back in a, a couple of decades, and Hollywood used to have big budget musicals that were absolutely phenomenal. It's getting pretty thin on the boards out there for good quality musicals, and almost nothing's coming out of Hollywood. Um, Art from America these days, they've got people that are selling white canvases, calling it art. Oh, Where was the banana? <laughs> did, you hear uh, about the fi- did you guys hear about the fiasco after the banana was eaten? Someone replaced it with a pineapple? No, someone wrote Epstein didn't kill himself, and then the, then the guards had to cover the painting. Like, I'm sorry, but there's, there's some seriously messed up drugs that are involved in some of these. 
Uh, I still don't understand what was the point of the banana and the tape on the wall. What or not? <laughs> it doesn't have yeah, to well... be the point. <laughs> it was it was a starving drug affected delusional idiot who was like, I gotta come up with something for my market. What am I gonna do? And then he saw the um P A P P song or PPAP, whatever it is, the pen pineapple apple pen. <laughs> with a Death Note version just recently released and he thought he was humming that to himself I've got a banana I've got tape banana art I still couldn't believe the fact that some idiot decided to buy a hundred pay that whole piece for 120 grand hey don't forget the um, Banksy one where it burnt no it was shredded Shredded oh, yeah. yeah, he built a, uh, a shredder into the frame and shredded it as a stunt. Like, and the person still paid money for it. Well, like, they were already taking free order when it was correct. Yeah, no, and but you, because you made it was hard, it's part of the story now. So every time he looks at it, he thinks, wow, that's the time my modern art was shredded in a uh, public place. Oh, but And okay. it now makes a really good filler for his cushion. <laughs> okay, but back to the story. I the one my biggest concern is now that I think that Hollywood's now going to going to put like as a criteria for best animated film is must have CGI and it it should not um it should be a Disney project. I think that's that's what's going to be the the thing. The for people me. like you you said last week with the um like net, Netflix and all that taking over from movies. Yeah. People are getting sick and tired of all the garbage coming out of Hollywood. And even if you go looking through um, Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of the other servers, a lot of the stuff isn't actually necessarily coming out of California anymore. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out and it's not American. And that's the stuff that people are enjoying the most. Like there's that series, um, what is it, Money Heist from Spain? That's looking awesome. I got to got to admit, like I'm I'm wanting to get in and watch that and enjoy it. Um, the Grand Tour, three old Englishmen traveling around the world, having fun with cars and boats and planes and whatnot. Totally un-American, and they actually insult America quite regularly. <laughs> they even put me to shame for the amount of insults that they come up with. Um, there's very little content that's coming out of America that's really hitting home runs in the in any of the markets like netflix has channels for anime amazon have channels for, has a channel for anime so yeah like people people are chasing content that they prefer and they're saying that they're sick and tired of hollywood for a lot of stuff mm, i just hope that okay there was that there was also that series what was it um black sales it was filmed in south africa yeah well you can't expect them to be coming out with good stuff out of Hollywood, such thin margins. Yes, well, yeah. But is it everyone in Hollywood suffering the thin margins, or is it only Disney? I think it looks I assume like it's all of Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I hope we get more anime films being recognized, but I know, just too much power. From... But does anyone really care? About Golden Globe Awards and Academy Awards anymore, I mean, other than America. 
I mean, it's a bigger, it's a big honor. I mean, wouldn't you Is like it? it if, I mean, wouldn't you like it if your film, were, if if you if you were nominated for best director in by the Academy Awards? Honestly, probably wouldn't care because, like, Robin Williams was ignored for decades. He didn't get one until it right. I, I can't remember when it was. He finally got one, but there were other people who got awards that were less talented. So I'm sorry, but for decades there now, it's been pretty much, I don't know, it's just the whole thing's questionable for the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes. Also a lot of brouhaha for a bunch of people that, let's face it, it's just another form of unemployment benefits for America because a lot of their film industry's heavily subsidised and it's a celebration of the biggest idiots. Yeah, like true. the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyways, um, moving along. Uh, Professor, you've got a story about a remake. The worst remake of all time. Possibly <laughs> the best. It's um, a remake of Sonic 06, Sun in Unity. Someone has sat down and decided, you know what's a great idea? I'm going to take the worst game ever and I'm going to make it again in Unity. I, I don't know what would have come over him. I don't know why you would put yourself through that. Sonic 06 is responsible for so much torment. Here's a nice looking demo though. I just hope he doesn't get uh, doesn't get a copyright strike from Sega. Yeah. I mean we've seen Nintendo and what they've done lately with the with fans with fans making games. Yeah, but Sega's usually a little bit more accepting. And like I can't see them complaining, like if you have an abomination like that they had with that then yeah, someone coming through and making it work well, I'd actually be contacting and going, yeah, look, you want a job? Yeah, so um, if they go through and fix some of the absolute decisions, like um, there's one map that's basically impossible to do because it relies on randomness. You don't have enough control over the situation to be able to actually have an effect on it. And there's a whole bunch of other glitches. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Stuff. Sometimes you'll jump on a, a boost pad and it will walk you through a wall because it's just programmed badly. If they fix that, it would become a bad game. But, you know, why? Why not make a, a new Sonic game instead? Because Sonic Mania was a fan game that got picked up by Sega. So if if this guy went and made his own, like, not a replica, but his own unique Sonic 3D game, I imagine they'd be okay with that. But still, I... I commend him for his work because I couldn't deal with that. Maybe this is actually going to be his portfolio piece to say, this is what I can do, give me a job. Yeah. Like, he's been working through and he's doing the bug fixes and gameplay tweaks and even doing quality of life updates. Like, the guy is trying to make a really good product. I reckon 
this is this is advertising going, look, I've got the skills and the abilities. Look at what I'm doing. Give me a job. Because you've got so many people out there that are looking for jobs. You've got to stand out from the market. This is... This is a home run. Like if you're if you're looking around, you're going, well, he's made a game that was that was suffering, and he's taken it, and it's working, and people are liking this, and the potential of it is actually something we can work with. Yeah, I to see Sega actually pick this guy up after this, because if he's doing what they couldn't, they might be able to actually make a good switch in for once. It's also it, it puts them. He's taken an approach to it that's different to what they were doing. And it's come out looking good because of it. And, yeah, like, he's, he's thinking in a different way. So yeah, he's not just saying, look, this is my skills. It's like, this is my skills, and, yeah, this is where you went wrong. The disappointing thing is, though, that Bunny is pulling a PC, he's making his improvements, which means that players will suffer the pain. Yeah. You know, this, act- this actually reminds me of... Um... I don't know whether you guys remember this game PT, where a fan made a Silent Hills, a Silent Hill style game, yeah. Made and a it was playable trailer. It yeah. was a demo for the new Silent Hill game, and yeah. uh, it was pulled from the PlayStation Store after uh, Kojima was well after Kojima left Konami, and some fans went back and remade it in Unity. Yeah, and the best part about it is, um, so Fourth of July last, Fourth uh, of July twenty eighteen, a seventeen year old developer and fan of PT remade the trailer for the PC and released it for free, and Konami found out about it, um, and they shut down the pros. They and Konami found out about it and they shut down the project due to legal issues, but and um, however, Konami offered the guy an internship to work with its uh, developmental offices. Yeah, it's a shame they uh they tried to shut down first. Yeah, but it's a legal uh, Presumably with, um, though I think they kept the uh, Silent Hill and Metal Gear and all of that. Mm. So I assume they would be able to make the decision to let it release. But I guess something got involved with the uh, less than amicable way that um, Kojima left the company. So they weren't able to let them keep going. Yeah. Gotta give him props for getting the internship in the end, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving the artwork in this. He's um, like the background, like background and scenery is looking outstanding. Yeah, scenery looks really good without the uh, the pop in. Like, it was originally, I think, a Dreamcast game from that era. So the, um, actually, I might be wrong about that. Uh, it says here that it can be played on PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360. But still, it's a game from 06, and it it doesn't look great by modern standards because that's the thing with 3D games, they don't tend to age particularly well. You get bigger screens, you can see more of the glitches in the um, models and stuff. But it looks really nice now that he's gone through and made a resolution version without pop-in and draw distance and everything. Yeah. Hmm. I hope we get more fan, fan-made fan games, though, in the end. Yeah, they've um, had a bit of a resurgence, I think. Like, it's a slow thing, because most people who make games want to make their idea. It's just the part of being a creative, I guess. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of um like a lot of people posting online, I need an artist to work with me on my great idea. Like what well, work with you on that great idea when they could have their own great idea. That's just yeah. the part of the argument you get through with Yeah. And um so it's not too often you get people wanting to remake someone else's product, but some of them are absolutely amazing. Like Black Mesa. Well a lot of the 
um, fan generated um, stuff for Skyrim is absolutely awesome. Yeah. And uh, there's obviously uh, things like Skyrim and the other turtle conversions for um, the older Elder Scrolls games. Mm-hmm. They're basically remaking the older games in Skyrim, which I have serious doubts about those projects because the scope is massive. But I'd love to see it happen, so prove me wrong, guys. <laughs> Anyways, um, moving along. So, Bucky, what game have you been playing? I've been playing a very fun little game called Pirates Slay, which, um, yeah, after last week, I went and had a look at the um, crazy games listing and just because I thought, well, they've got some fun games there to play. And, yeah, so I had a look around and they've got one called Pirates Slay where you, it's a side-scroller where you go from across the screen and you um, start off and you're running around with a machete or something and you chop into zombie pirates and you jump up and down to collect coins and open crates to get fruits and all that sort of stuff but yeah it's pretty it's a pretty good fun little game like it's uncomplicated and just yeah uh biggest flaw um the music can get a bit annoying at times but other than that yeah it's for what for what it is is that's actually pretty good i'm enjoying it what's your favorite part about this game entirely um, it's very reminiscent of like the Mario and Alex Kid and all that sort of era of platform. So as you jump down, you can land on top of bad guys and you squish them. Nice. So okay, it's a fun, uncomplicated game. So how many nerdy beanies would you give this one out of five? I'm gonna give it four and a half. Nice. All right, I've been playing uh, Frenzy Revolution and. It's a hack and slash game, but uh, I've got, it's, inter- it's an interesting game to, in general. Um, the only downside to this game, uh, to me, is the the controls. They're very, very annoying when you're playing on keyboard and mouse. Like this, uh, like this game is specifically for con- this game is specifically for controllers, not for keyboard. Uh huh. So, what's the most enjoyable part of it so far? Um, the enjoyable part about it is you can... The combos when, when when you're slashing through enemies, that's the best part. When you have to, ty- when you have to press, um, ran- press it all the time, the left, right-click and left-click uh, to make cool combos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've said the biggest down- downfall is the overcomplicated because it's meant for controller. Yeah. Like some buttons, you have to. Uh, and sometimes you have to time your attacks very carefully, and you can't do it with you, you can't do it with a with a controller, um, with a keyboard. But you can do it very easily with a controller, like parry, for example. And trying to um, move, trying to move around with the mouse, like looking around while doing a parry, is very hard. <laughs> so, how many nerdy beanies? Uh, I would give it four. I would give it four. Um, so, Professor, what game have you been playing? I've been playing Age of Empires 2 because my friends and I decided to run it. Ooh. I was knocked out in the first round. <laughs> Which empire? Random. Oh, wait, so you didn't pick it? Ah. Uh. No, we all went random. I was knocked out in the first round, so you can tell how happy I am about that. <laughs> so, um, while it was random, what empire did you get? I got Aztecs. 
Mm. Bucky has that has that moan for concern. Well, the Eagle Warriors are pretty good. I just suck at economy. <laughs> you didn't build a market, did you? Why would I? There was no point building a market. Well, like, wasn't you... a, uh, there was plenty of natural resources, and there was only one other player, so there was no one to trade with. Ah, uh, so it's a one-on-one. But isn't market also part of your technological research? I don't think there's anything pertaining to military there. Um, I think the only things there are lower the tax on tributes, which I wasn't doing, uh, trade card stuff, and buying and selling resources, which I wasn't doing because I didn't run into that sort of need. Well, it's been a while since I've been in it, but I remember, I'm pretty sure with the tech tree there was other bits and pieces that you need to have those things there as a requirement first. Okay. I must not have gone down that path then because it ended up being a necessity for me. You didn't last long enough. No, I got to Imperial Age for about 30 seconds because that was when my opponent decided to just come and roll over me. <laughs> oh, man. Like a big wet Labrador? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's your biggest flaw in this game? That I suck at it. Fair enough. Uh, what's the best part of the game? That's the that best strategy game ever made. Well, say it again, um, Professor? It's the best strategy game ever made. Oh, nice, nice. So uh, how many Nerdy Beanies would you give this game out of? 4.733 repeating. <laughs> uh, that's out of five, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's uh, now trying to work out how to put down 4.73 repeating. Yeah, I can tell from the show notes you just written. You didn't do it right. <laughs> I know. Repeating has an apostrophe at the end. Actually, it's a full stop in the air. It's not an apostrophe. Okay. okay. Right. I've always written it as an apostrophe, so if that's wrong, I don't want to know what I've been saying in, like, maths language. Uh, it's actually <laughs> a swear word. Probably. It's, it's to repeat, but you're, you're flipping them the finger upside down. It's kind of like, you know when they do the um, like the OK symbol? If you do it yep. with their fingers up and going up in the air, it's OK. But if you rotate your wrist and you got your thumb and finger at the top and the fingers below, it's a swear word. Yeah. Okay. So I think I'm in a bit of trouble. <laughs> now, now you know why your um, math teachers always gave you dirty books. <laughs> yeah, that would explain a lot. Uh, anyway, so our shout out. So on the 17th of December, 1989, the first episode of The Simpsons airs in the United States with the episode titled... Simpsons roasting on an open fire, although it was titled on screen as The Simpsons Christmas Special. And for those who are curious what the episode was all about, it was the episode of how Santa's little helper became their family pet. That was a very charming episode. Uh, 17th of December 2003, Spaceship One, piloted by Brian Binney, uh, makes its first powered and first supersonic flight, which was also the 100th anniversary of the Wright Brothers' um, historical first-powered flight. And then on the 17th of December 2019, uh, we're all shout-out to uh, New South Wales and Queensland firefighters for their efforts in combating the bushfires. And, um, yeah, they're, in, and they're also wanting us to help us out with the Rural Fire Association of Queensland's um, raffle. So yeah, check check out their raffle. You might win some fantastic prizes, such as a lovely car, which is a Toyota Kluger GX8 all-wheel drive. 
Uh, you also get laptops, uh, a Toyo Corolla, among, among other prizes. Uh, now for our remembrances, on the 20th of November 2019, uh, Tony Brooker, a British academic, was a computer scientist known for developing the Mark I autocode language. He also designed the Compiler Compiler, which is a programming tool that creates a parser, interpreter, or compiler from some form of informal description of a programming language and machine. He died at the age of 94 in Hexham. I reckon they could write a um, musical out of that. <laughs> compiler, compiler, compile my code. <laughs> That'd be one heck of... On the uh, 17th of December 1907, William Thompson, 1st Baron Kelvin, Irish Scottish of Ulster, Scots heritage, a mathematical physicist and engineer who was born in Belfast in 1824 at the University of Glasgow. He did important work in the mathematical analysis of electricity and the formulation of the first and second laws of thermodynamics and did much to unify the emerging discipline of physics in its modern form. Absolute temperatures are stated in units of Kelvin in his honor. While the existence of a lower limit to temperature was known prior to his work, Kelvin is known for determining its correct value as approximately minus 273.15 degrees Celsius or minus 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit. He died from a severe chill at the age of 83 in Largs, Ayrshire. Yeah, I bet he didn't care what temperature it was then. <laughs> uh, it's actually Ayrshire. Ah, uh, thank you. You're welcome. Seventeenth uh, of December, twenty sixteen. Henry Judah Heimlich, American thoracic surgeon and medical researcher. He is widely credited as the inventor of the Heimlich maneuver, a technique of abdominal thrust for stopping choking, uh, described in medical emergency medicine in nineteen seventy four. He also invented the micro trash portable oxygen system for ambulatory patients and the Heimlich chest drain valve, or flutter valve, which drains blood and airs out of the chest cavity. He died after complications from a heart attack at the age of 96 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Would have sucked if he choked. <laughs> Very bad yeah. way to die. <laughs> yeah, he never actually had to do the Heimlich until he was already in the nursing home. He performed it on one of the other uh, residents. Isn't it, isn't well, that was his story. Isn't the Heimlich maneuver a very dangerous technique as well, though? Like you could crack a yeah. rib or two. Well, there's a lot of things that can crack a rib or two, but it's not like recommended unless it's it's the last resort, basically. In in first aid training, you're taught a couple of other tricks to use first because the Heimlich is so hard to do right and so destructive. Mm-hmm. You you even encourage to stick your fingers down a person's throat before doing the Heimlich. Uh. Yeah. Uh, hey, so, it sounds gross, but yeah, it's safer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyways, famous birthday, 17th of December, 1905. Simo Haya, uh, nicknamed White Death by the Red Army, was a Finnish sniper. He is believed to have killed 500 men during the 1939 to 1940 Winter War, the highest number of sniper kills in any major war. He used a Finnish-produced M28-30 rifle a variant of the Mosin 
Nagant uh, rifle and a Sumio KP minus 31 submachine gun. His unit's captain, Anti Rantama, uh, credited him for 259 confirmed kills by sniper rifle and an equal number of kills by submachine gun during the Winter War. Haya never talked about it publicly, but estimated in his diary that he killed around 500. He was born in Rautjavi of Vipuri province. It's more like Rautjavi. Ah, yeah. And the sad thing is, these days, if he did this sort of thing in America, it probably wouldn't even be noticed. It'll just be considered another day at the movies. Well, hopefully he's not going and taking out Civi. And apparently his his secret to, 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 to achieving that level of kills, practice. Yeah, and... An absolute insane amount of willpower. Oh, yeah. Like, he wouldn't use a scope because he didn't want the reflection off the lens to give him away. He mm-hmm. didn't snow to stop his breath fogging up. He got shot in the face and kept fighting. Like, there's a well, reason this guy turns up in all the historical badasses list. So, but then again, when you get shot in the face, that's kind of like you can either lie down or die, or you can just start shooting harder and killing more people. So yeah, here's some of... It was like, you're in a sniper duel, I think. Yeah. So here's some of his um figures. So 1939, 138 kills. 1940, 199 kills. 1940, 219 kills. Uh, 1940, on March 1940, uh, total of 259 sniper kills. Jesus Christ, this guy's insane. <laughs> but yeah, he never had never had any problems from his postman. <laughs> So on the seventeenth uh, of December, nineteen twenty, Kenneth Eugene Iverson, a computer Canadian computer scientist, noted for the development of the programming language APL. He was honored for with the Turing Award in nineteen seventy nine for his pioneering effort in programming languages and mathematical notation, resulting in what the computing field now knows as APL for his contributions to the implementation of interactive systems to educational purposes of APL and to programming language theory and practice. Wow, that's one heck of a of a of a, of a reason why to award him. Uh, he was born in Camrose, Alberta. Uh, 17th of December 1929, Jacqueline Hill, British actress, actress known for her roles as Barbara Wright in the BBC science fiction television series Doctor Who. As the history teacher of Susan Foreman, the Doctor's granddaughter, Barbara was the first Doctor companion to appear on screen in 1963, with Hill speaking the series' first words. She played the role for nearly two years, leaving the series in 1965, at the same time as fellow actor William Russell, who played as the companion, Ian Chesterton. Hill returned to Doctor Who in 1980 for an appearance in serial Megalos as the Tigellan Priestess Lexter. She was born in Birmingham. Now the question is, is she the first, well, she's the first companion to appear on screen, but is she the first companion, or is Ian the first companion? Which one stepped on the hardest first? I don't remember. I think it's Ian. It's always ladies first. Ah. Uh... <laughs> we were entering a strange place where anything bad could happen. Something first to protect the woman. This was the 60s. No, 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 you send the lady first so that she gets hit, knocked off first, then you can fight. <laughs> there was a whole reason why ladies were sent first. Uh, so on the 17th of December 1975, uh, Milika Bogdanovna Jonovich, American actress, model, and musician. 
Her starring roles in numerous science fiction and action films led the music channel VH1 to deem her the reigning kick of reigning queen of kick butt in 2006. In 2004, Forbes determined that she was the highest paid model in the world. Uh, Jonovich gained attention for a role in the 1991 romance film Return to the Blue Lagoon, as she was the only 15-year-old. She was considered to have a breakthrough role in breakthrough with her role in the 1997 French science fiction film The Fifth Element, written by written and directed by Luc Besson. She and Besson uh, married that year, but soon divorced. She started the, as the heroine and martyr in Besson's The Messenger, the story of Joan of, Joan of Arc. Between 2002 and 2016, uh portrayed Alice in the science fiction horror film. Jovovich, not Jonovich. Ah, my mistake. There's not an N, that's a V. Ah. Uh, portrayed in this, so she portrayed as Alice in the series Resident Evil, which became the highest grossing film series to be based on video games. She was born in Kiev, Ukraine, SSR. Okay, up to that. Barbara is the first one into the TARDIS. Uh-huh. Ian runs for it, but the doctor grabs him and holds him back, and Barbara slips past and gets in. <laughs> As I said, ladies first. Yep. Nice one. And I think you're um, missing a letter there at the end, DJ. No, it says SSR, man. That's what, the, that's what it said. Yeah, but it was USSR. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Oh, no, but this is a different one. This is the Ukrainian Socialist Soviet Socialist Republic. There's a different one. And it was part of the USSR in 1975. Uh, hang on a second. Put it up. Put your notes. Here we go. Okay. Uh, uh, now, events of interest. In the 17th of December, 1903, the Wright okay. Brothers... Hmm? I think it's got you there, Buck. It is the Ukrainian SSR. Yeah, but it was actually a subdivision of the USSR. Yeah, it was it, it was that, but it was still part of Russia. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, so on the seventeenth of December, nineteen o three, the Wright brothers make the first controlled powered heavier than air flight in the Wright Flyer at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. It flew it flew about four miles, which is six point four kilometers, for four times. Today, the airplane is exhibited in the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. The U.S. Smithsonian Institution described the aircraft as the first powered, heavier-than-air machine to achieve controlled, sustained flight with a pilot aboard. The flyer of Flyer 1 marks the uh, beginning of the pioneer era of aviation. 17th of December, 1957, the United States successfully launched the first Atlas in the Continental Ballistic Missile at Cape Canaveral, Florida. The missile named R&D Atlas A-12A, which was an SM-65A Atlas, landed in the target area after a flight of 600 me- miles. This was the first Atlas with a functional guidance system. And finally, on the 18th of December 1971, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the sixth in the James Bond series, was released with its premiere at the Odeon Leicester Square in London. As On Her Majesty's Secret Service has been filmed in stereo, the first Bond film to use the technology, the Odeon had a new speaker system installed to benefit the new sounds. And this, and that was the un- first and last time an Australian acted in a Bond movie. Uh, anyways, um, anything else, guys, before we uh, wrap it up? Um, not that I can think of, other than 
we are intending to do a special. Oh yeah, we yeah we are we're going to be doing a Star Wars special episode in the next few days. So it'll be featuring Buck, myself, maybe the professor, um, and a couple of other special guests as well. So we'll keep you posted on our Facebook page and uh, on our Twitter. You know, I'm not going to be there. I know. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be there because you booked the recording time when I'm at work. (laughs) Yeah, but we said lunchtime, so you can join us. Take your lunch break. Right. (laughs) Just... Just set the answering machine to have you tried turning it on and off yet. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, that's it for tonight. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can find us on um, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, and uh, yeah, hope to see you guys. Ne- see you guys next week. See you guys. See you next week. Remember to look after yourselves, take care of each other, and stay hydrated. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.